0: And let's turn to the book of John, chapter 8, a fairly familiar passage. The story of the woman taken in adultery. John chapter 8. We're going to read through the first several verses. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself, and saw none but the woman, he saith unto her, Said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, this morning, I would like for our subject to be, the topic of the message, is the word conviction. Now, this is something that is missing and is not preached on very often. I mean, we hear all the time that we need to be sorry for our sins and and sometimes we uh attach certain emotional outpouring uh, attach certain emotions through will cleanse us from our sins. Now, let me ask you a question: Does being sorry that you did something does that change anything and uh i I grew up. Out in uh, the country part, down in Maryland, my parents are all from Pennsylvania, uh, and so hunting was a big part of my growing up. I used to go out in the woods and sit there, and and uh, normally what happens is I go out in the woods and sit there and nothing happens. Uh, but with a loaded gun, who's going to bother you, amen? And, and so you get to think a little bit in and, and those things, and that's one of the things I like to do, but... That's a huge responsibility. And I've taught my children, and they took a hunter safety class and all of this, but I'm going to teach them a lot more than what they learned in the class. It doesn't matter how sorry you are, if you point that gun in the wrong direction and pull the trigger, somebody's going to die. And all the sorrow in the world isn't going to bring them back. There are just certain things in life you're not allowed to do, and if you do them, there's going to be huge consequences. And the idea that you're sorry for what happened doesn't make one bit of difference. Sorrow is not conviction. Sorrow accompanies conviction, yes. But sorrow and conviction over sin are two entirely different things. And as we go through the next several weeks, I've been uh, working on this sermon all all week and before that even, and and I'll tell you, I I wish I had about another month to get this message ready. Uh, But uh, we'll be going through the... Uh, This idea and conviction, the word is only mentioned once in the Bible. And that's right here in this story. Interesting place for that word. Now, there are many other places in the Bible where conviction is referred to. One of the most famous stories is David. Remember when he was being hunted by Saul and Saul trapped him in a cave and didn't even know that David was in the cave. And Saul went in the cave to um, go to the bathroom, basically, and David snuck up behind him and cut the robe of the king. And the king didn't even know David had done it. But you know what the Bible tells us? It tells us that David's heart smote him for dishonoring the king. That's what he was doing by cutting the robe of the king. He was doing a dishonor to the king. Uh, you didn't have tailors that traveled with you. As, as the king would go back to the city of Gibeah where he uh, set up his kingdom, everyone that saw the king would see the rent, the hole in his garment. And they would uh they would think a little less of their king that he allowed David to come up and cut that garment David's heart smote him. The Bible tells us that's conviction, but there's a lot of things that are attached to conviction that just aren't in the bible and i I want us to look at this story and just go through the story first i I want the Scripture to be number one in our thoughts today, not the ideas of man, but I ask that you would listen closely because we're going to be dealing with some things that are, that are not just on the surface of Christianity. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and lives and help us to understand this because communication is more than just saying words. It's more than just understanding the grammar and what is going on. When we're talking about biblical communication, what we're trying to do is we are trying to get God's words and allow them to touch our hearts. Amen? And before we go any further, I want you to understand that conviction is something that only will come in your life as you get close to Jesus. Not the church, not good works, not anything else, but as you get close to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why I challenge you, don't equate sorrow for your sin, for conviction, because it's not. Don't think that just because you feel bad about something... Let me just be very blunt this morning. Hell is full of people who feel very bad about what they've done. But it's not going to ease their suffering one little bit. It only adds to it. And as we look through this story, we've just read it. Jesus was in the temple teaching. He comes back from the Mount of Olives just outside the city of Jerusalem, walks down into the temple... And all the people, when they see Jesus, they come to him. Now, we got to get an idea of what this temple was like. Uh, the po- the porch that was called Solomon's, probably where this happened, in the book of Acts we'll find out that 5,000 men got saved in one surface in, the, in this location of the temple. Now, an area that would hold 5,000 men plus other people is... A whole lot bigger than this auditorium. And of course, it was outside. There was there was no roof on this thing. It was an open-air uh, situation. And so Jesus, as He walked in, there were literally thousands of people, some of them standing in line to offer their sacrifices. Some had already done so and were quietly praying. Others were talking. There were different rabbis all through the place there who were teaching different bible lessons. I mean it was it was quite a scene. And as Jesus walks in early in the morning, all the rabbis stop teaching. They want to they want to hear Jesus and the people begin coming together and and crowding up and Jesus is standing there. The bible says that he sat down and taught them. And as he's teaching them God's Word, all of a sudden the crowd starts moving. And and there's a disturbance. And everybody, I mean, you get a big crowd of people like that standing shoulder to shoulder and somebody starts moving through the crowd. I mean, things happen. And and everybody's getting a little disturbed here. And here come, they turn around and, oh my, it's, it's the chief priests, it's the Pharisees, it's the big people here. We better get out of their way. And they move through the crowd and they drag this woman up and they stand her before Jesus. They say, we've convicted her. We have found a guilty woman. She is guilty of adultery. In case you're wondering, there's no question. About her guilt. We caught her in the very act. Now, our first question is where is the man that had to be with her? That's our first question, isn't it? But this morning, I'd like us to put aside the uh, the conniving and the scheming of the Pharisees, and I, I want us just to look at the life of this woman. Was she guilty? Yes? No? You can say it out loud. It's okay. Say yes. She was guilty. There is no question. They didn't need trial by jury. Not even Johnny Cochran could get her off. I mean, she was in trouble. Now, did somebody put a gun to her head to have her commit that heinous act? No evidence here that that happened. People choose to sin, do they not? And this woman, whether she was beguiled and tricked so that she could be used by the Pharisees, we don't know. But we do know that she sinned. And they were there to catch her. And she was caught. Just being sorry for your sin is not conviction, my friend, not biblical conviction. And by the way, the poorest excuse that you can have for sorrow is when you're sorry that you got caught. Amen? That is offensive to God. Yet that is the greatest kind of sorrow that you and I experience in this world, is it not? I mean, there's not a one of us in this room that doesn't do things that we're glad that nobody else except God knows about. That's human nature. We're glad that, that we don't carry our thoughts around on a little screen on the side of our head so people could see them. you'd get fired every day if you did that. Isn't that true? If people could see what was going on in your heart, we could never get through a service with this many people at our church. Because somebody's thinking about dinner. Somebody wants to go watch the football game. Somebody else is trying to figure out whether the Yankees are going to make it to the World Series again or not. I mean, we've got all these ideas and then some of us are carrying heavy burdens from this world. Burdens of sickness and disease, burdens of hurt and pain, burdens of other people injuring. Aren't you glad God kind of covered all that up? But, let's look at this woman. She was guilty. They brought her to Jesus for judgment. Now, let me ask you a question. Even though there's no evidence that these Pharisees had any righteous intentions at all, they wanted to tempt Jesus, the Bible tells tells us. But if you want judgment for sin, where do you go? You go to Jesus, don't you? I mean, they went to the right place. They had a sinner with them. And by the way, I want to remind you of something. God's law was on their side. Isn't that true? What did God's law say? If you commit adultery, you should die. Now, someone says, they don't have that law in America, do they? No. Probably a third of the population would have to be executed. It's, it's a sad day in which we live and no, we're not endorsing going back to the Bible uh, to the Old Testament law. What we are saying is, this is what the Old Testament law had. This is what the the uh, penalty was. They brought her to Jesus. They were in the temple of God, and they said, "Listen, Moses' law says she should die." But we want to know what you say now. Here was their reasoning. The Bible says they were trying to tempt Jesus. If he said stone her, you know where they were going? They were going to dial 911 on all their cell phones at the same time if they had such things back then. And they were going to call the governor and say, Jesus is guilty of murder. That's the first thing they were going to do. And if Jesus said, don't stone her, then they were going to turn to the people and say, he doesn't believe the law of God. He's a false teacher. They thought they had Jesus right where they wanted him. But did they? Absolutely not. Now, Jesus does something interesting here. The Bible tells us he stoops down on the ground... And writes in his finger as though he heard them not. So Jesus, they're standing there and they say, Now, Jesus, what do we do with this woman? The Bible says to stone her, what what do you say? And Jesus just turns around as though they didn't say anything and starts writing with his finger in the dirt. And I've heard preachers preach all kinds of sermons on what Jesus wrote. And uh, the problem is nobody knows what Jesus wrote. But there is an interesting connection, and let's just go there for a moment. Back to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17. Jeremiah, chapter 17. We'll start reading in verse 12. It says, A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel... All that forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for thou art my praise. Now, the connection that has been made here, it says... That the hope of Israel is those that depart from God shall be ashamed. Number one, and number two, that those that depart from the living God will be written in the earth. Now, let me ask you, how many of you know this story today? Raise your hand if you know the story. We're going in in the book of the in the book of John. You know the story of the adulterous woman. You've read it, you're familiar with it, most of us are. Did the Pharisees get ashamed before the end of the story? They most certainly did. The best we can figure was what Jesus was writing in the dirt was their names. Now we're not going to be dogmatic about that because we don't know 100% sure. But It said the hope of Israel was those that depart from God are ashamed. And the Pharisees got ashamed before this whole thing was over. And he said their names shall be written in the earth. And what was Jesus doing? He was writing in the earth with his finger. I just think that all of a sudden they looked down and there was my name. That's his name. How does he know our names? Well, he was God. He knows everything. Amen? Now, let me tell you something. The Pharisees studied the Bible much more than any person that goes to church today. But who brings to our mind what's in the Scriptures? The Holy Spirit of God, isn't he? If you will take God's Word and put it in your heart and in your mind, the Holy Spirit will use it to help you. Amen? This is the only passage in the Bible that's like this. That's why we make the connection there. And so, we'll just leave that and come back. Jesus stooped on the ground and they continued asking Him. Now remember, there are thousands of people gathered around here is this group. They drag this woman in here. Some of the people don't even know what's going on. The majority of them are passing back through the crowd. Hey, she's, they got an adulteress. They're asking Jesus what to do in judgment of her. And Jesus just turns around starts writing with His finger on the ground. And they keep asking. Who knows how long this process went on? Could you imagine the tension as they're saying... What are you going to do, Jesus? And he just writes out another name in the dirt. What are you going to do? And he writes out another one. Finally, they get into a course and, and Jesus turns around and he makes a statement that has been misquoted and unquoted and all this through the years. Uh, yet, it's one of the most beautiful statements in the entire Bible. He stood up and he said, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. He said, whichever one of you has no sin, go ahead and carry out the judgment of the law against her. Now, what was Jesus doing to these men? He was convicting them, wasn't he? You see, they had brought this woman to be convicted and to be judged by Jesus. There was no doubt about her sin and about her guilt. But here's what Jesus did. He gave them something that we have very precious little of today. While he was writing in the ground, and maybe he wrote nothing in the ground, just drew pictures or something, just put marks in the ground, we don't know. But he did give them time, he did give them time to think about what they were doing. We get into a lot of trouble when we do things that we don't think about, don't we? We don't ask counsel at the Word of God. We just do what we think is going to be best and pray that God will help us and make it turn out. I I want to tell you that's the opposite of conviction. Jesus turns the tables on these Pharisees, these religious leaders, and He begins to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, convict each one of them of their own sin. Look what the Bible says. Verse 9, And they which heard it, being convicted, the only time in the Bible that word is used, by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. One by one, they dropped the stones and turned around and walked away until there was nobody left but the woman and Jesus. The Bible says they were convicted in their own conscience. Now, what were they convicted of? They were convicted of the fact that they were using this woman's sin to try to entrap Jesus Christ. They were convicted of the fact that their interest and their desire was not the righteousness of God, but the furtherance of their own goals, which was to destroy Jesus. They couldn't go through with their plan. Because they came under conviction, the Bible says, of their own conscience. Now, that word conscience is probably one of the most misunderstood terms that we deal with today. How many of you have a conscience? You better raise your hand. If you don't, you're in big, big trouble. You know, the Bible does speak of those who have no conscience. The biblical word for someone who has no conscience is the word reprobate. This is a person who cannot be touched with the working of the Holy Spirit of God. We could talk about many, many stories, illustrations of this fact. But let's just put it very simply. There's not a one of us in this room that's old enough to understand what's going on that has not been touched in our heart, in our mind, with this thing called conscience. That we've not been convicted that we should not do this. We should not be watching this. We should not go to such and such a place. And be very, very careful. We've talked about this many times. Do not listen to the little voices. The world is full of voices. And you can tune yourself in on frequencies that God never intended a human being to be tuned in on. Sometimes we we make a little light, but there are people that struggle all their lives with hearing voices. And it's because they've tuned themselves into frequencies that God has never intended you can teach yourself to listen to a lot of different things that aren't of God. But conscience is something that will always direct you to God. That's how you know that it's conscience. It's the restrain I believe conscience is the restraining work of the Holy Spirit of God upon mankind as a whole. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust we should live soberly in this present world. The Bible tells us that during the time that it is called the tribulation, that that restraining work of the Holy Spirit is going to be pulled off this planet, that it will not be functioning. You imagine, and we hear about all the evil that goes on, but imagine what would happen if there were no conscience. It's going to be a terrifying time. The Holy Spirit of God was intervening to stop these men from committing sin. Now, I want us to make something very plain. Just because you have a conscience does not mean that you're saved. Just because you're sorry for wrong things has no bearing at all upon your salvation. Those are the things that bring conviction in the life of an individual. But I want us to define this thing called conviction by the actions and the attitudes of the woman who was brought in adultery, and she is standing there before Jesus, thousands of people are all gathered around, listening and waiting for what Jesus is going to say, and they 're watching as these men in their bright and, and colorful robes begin to readjust themselves and slink out through the, the crowd one at a time, and all of a sudden there she is. All by herself, the center of attention. and Jesus asked a question, and I don't believe that Jesus asked the question, "Where are those thine accusers? Because the porch was filled with a multitude. He lifted up his voice that everyone could hear. He said, "Woman' Where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? Now, what Jesus was trying to do was help all the crowd to understand that those that had condemned this woman had left. You see, there had to be at least two, if not three witnesses that would lay their hands upon the head of the guilty and confess publicly that this person was guilty of that sin and they were witnesses to it. That's what the law commanded. And so when Jesus was asking, where are your accusers? He's saying, listen, we have to have at least two, the best is three to come forward and lay their hands upon your head and pronounce you guilty because of what they know and what they know to be true. She said, "Where are?" They? He said, "Where are they?" And she looks around and I'm sure that her heart is full of fear at this point. Because I doubt she's been watching the men as they leave. Her attention would have to be riveted in one place and one place alone. You see, they had brought her to Jesus as the judge. And so where would her attention be other than on the Lord Jesus Christ? And she breaks her stare at the Master and begins to look around and realizes nobody's gone. And in that fearful, tepid voice of of knowing that your life is on the line, she says, No man, Lord. Now, that little word, Lord, is really important, my friend. That denotes authority. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Now, don't make of that anymore. We've got kooks on both sides of the equation here. Some people say that unless you make Jesus your Lord and never sin again, you're not saved. It's ridiculous. We have other people that say, it doesn't matter if Jesus is your Lord, you can do whatever you want, you're saved anyway. That's as equally as ridiculous. She used the word Lord. That denotes authority. It denotes ownership. It denotes submission. That is conviction, my friend. You see, conviction does not come upon you because of fear. Conviction does not do its work because you're afraid you're going to go to hell. Conviction will not do its work because you're afraid that somebody's going to find out something that you don't want them to find out. I don't believe that this woman had conviction when the Pharisees drug her into the presence of Jesus Christ. Any more than any other person who chooses sin is being convicted while they are doing the sin that they are doing. We have all silenced that voice of conscience and conviction so that we can go on and do what we want to do. But as she was standing there in the midst, before the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, she heard the things that he said. No one had to tell her she was guilty. But here's what Jesus said. Verse 12, Then spake Jesus again unto them, I'm sorry, verse 11, and she, she said, No man, Lord, and Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Can I challenge you this morning that it was the love of Jesus Christ that brought conviction into the heart of this woman? It was not her sorrow for her sin. I imagine that the most uh, vivid emotion that she was dealing with at this point was sorrow over getting caught. Because according to the words of these men that drug her before Jesus, she knew what was coming. And this was by no means the common practice even of the Jewish people in that day. But they were going to make an example of her. She knew that if these men had their way, she would not see the sunset that day. And her understanding of God and doing right, she had no hope of life in heaven with God. Because she was being killed for her sin. It's a pretty pathetic picture, isn't it? And yet, when she met Jesus, who is the author of these words called the Bible, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the living Word, our Bible is the written Word, she experienced something that she could not find anywhere else. It was the love and the long-suffering of God. Amen? That drove her to conviction, which would bring, I believe, salvation. Jesus just simply made a statement. He says, I'm not condemning, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, does that mean that she would never commit another sin as long as she lived? Absolutely not. But it does mean that she didn't repeat this one. Amen? God will save you from your sin. I want to read a verse, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. You can turn there if you'd like. But the writer of Romans, the Apostle Paul, is talking to the Jewish believers in the city of Rome. And he says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, knowing not that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? He said, listen... God has given you time. You wonder why God doesn't rain judgment out of heaven and just destroy people who do wicked things. It's because He's good. It's because He he is forbearing and He is long-suffering. He's giving us an opportunity to draw closer to God. If you want true Bible conviction about your sin, there's only one place you can go. You've got to get close to the Lord Jesus Christ. Read this book called the Bible. You say, I, I've never read the Bible before. I don't know anything about it. Where would I start? Start with the book of John, where we're getting this message right here. Start there. Read the Gospel of John. I say most of us here that could, if we had the desire, if we chose to do so, could read through the Gospel of John this afternoon. It's 21 chapters, but don't let that scare you. Most Bibles, it's only about 15 to 20 pages long. In fact, if you read the newspaper... You'll spend more time and read more words in your newspaper than you will reading the Gospel of John.